Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, May 17th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y. Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. Okay, we don't have that much news today, but there is some big stuff, but we'll start small and, and go big. Uh, let's start off first with the next film from Travis Knight. He's, of course... Uh, the director of Bumblebee, and he did uh, some stop-motion animation stuff over at Leica. Ben, tell us about it. Yes, so Travis Knight is attached to direct a vampire action thriller called Uprising, which is going to be over at Netflix. It's going to be produced by 21 Laps, which is the production company that uh, Sean Levy and Dan Cohen run. They work on uh, shows like Stranger Things over at Netflix. So this uh, movie, Uprising, is based on a book that came out a couple years ago called A People's History of the Vampire Uprising. And it is about, uh, it's set after a global viral outbreak turns people into vampires. And it follows CIA agent Lauren Webb, who works against the clock to uncover the truth behind a growing uprising that threatens to wipe out humanity, Peter. It's very <laughs> big and, you know, important and vampire-y. So um, this is the, I mean, it sounds like, I, I was doing, I've not read this book myself, but I, I did a little digging into it. And it actually sounds more interesting than that synopsis makes it seem. That synopsis is kind of, a little bland, you know, it sort of sounds like we've seen tons of projects like this before, but digging a little bit into the the actual book itself, it sounds like the book approaches this as sort of a little bit more of a realistic angle of like what might happen if a bunch of vampires suddenly, you know, burst into our society. Um, there's a division that forms where this newfound vampire population actually becomes like the dominant force in the society. And one of them runs for political office and there's a secret terrorist organization that's sort of lurking in the shadows. So it's, it all sounds um, oh, wow. a little bit more like satirical and a little bit more um, grounded than that uh, sort of absurd premise makes it seem. Um, and it kind of sounds like an interesting change of pace for Travis Knight, who, as you mentioned, has done a lot of Leica stuff. And then uh, Bumblebee, I think is his only live action movie that we've seen thus far. Um, so yeah, this could end up being, you know, something that's a little bit more, I hate to use this term, but like dark and gritty than, than some of the stuff that we've seen him do before. 
Yeah, your initial when you read the initial concept for the book, it made me think, oh, someone read World War Z and was like, let's do right. this with vampires. But it, it definitely seems a lot different than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see what Travis Knight does because, you know, he he basically gave up, or I guess he didn't give up. He's still over at Leica, but, you know, he was running things at Leica and directing anything he wanted for that studio. And now, you know, he wants he wants to make his go in live action. And it's interesting to see the projects that he's choosing because Bumble, you know, Bumblebee made more sense for me with Travis Knight. This seems like a weird choice, which is it, it, more it, it, weird is probably a bad word. More interesting choice for Travis Knight. So I'm excited to see more about this as it ramps up. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. It has recruited another director, HD. Tell me, tell me about it. Yes. Yeah, so Amazon's Lord of the Rings series has uh, hired Swedish-French filmmaker Charlotte Brandstrom, uh, who has directed episodes of The Witcher and Outlander, to direct the uh, next few episodes, uh, or next two episodes of um, Lord of the Rings. She's going to be following J.A. Bayona, who directs the uh, first two, the pilot and the second episode, and then British Chinese director Wayne, Ye- Wayne Che Yip, who directs uh, next four episodes after that. And the show is fir- currently filming in New Zealand. And how many episodes is the first season of this? Uh, it's not that long, right? It's, um, it's not that long. I don't think there's a set... Eight, eight uh, episodes. episodes. I, have, I, eight I have it in front of me. Sorry. It's okay. eight episodes. Uh, so that is two plus four plus two. So that's all the directors, right? Yeah, that sounds like it. <laughs> if my math serves me correct. Uh, what do you guys think of the this director? Actually, what do you think of this director lineup for Lord of the Rings TV series? Well, other than J.A. Bayona, they seem to be hiring a lot of people from uh, genre TV and uh, Wayne Che Yip, I'm mostly familiar with from Doctor Who. He directed a couple of episodes that uh, were really promising and um, from the most recent seasons. And uh, Charlotte Brandstrom, meanwhile, has directed things from The Witcher, from The Man in the High Castle, Outlander, and she's also directed episodes of the recent Netflix series Jupiter's Legacy. So she clearly has a um, a skill and aptitude for genre shows. And The Witcher, for example, is also a good training ground for a high fantasy epic like Lord of the Rings. So yeah, it's, um, it seems like promising. I don't, I can't say I know a lot about uh, um, Charlotte Brandstrom's stuff. I've seen The Witcher, I've seen Outlander, but um, she isn't a name that I know off the top of my head. But J.A. Bayona, we know, of course, from Jurassic World Fallen kingdom and uh, various other horror films like the orphanage i think um but uh, he yeah he seems like he's probably gonna be the one who's gonna set the the house style for the series before uh wayne che yip and uh, charlotte brantham take the mantle yeah uh you know with the, with the show this big they're spending almost 500 million dollars on the first season these, these eight episodes alone I think I was expecting the lineup of directors to just be like big screen people like J.A. Bayona, like makes sense. The other two, I mean, I guess it makes sense because you want someone that knows TV, but I think I was expecting these big names because Lord of the Rings is just such a huge property and it's going to be something on such an epic scale. I know, Ben, you're, you're, you're a big Lord of the Rings fan, right? 
I am, yes. Yeah, what, what do you think of this lineup of directors? Uh, I initially had the same thought as you, where I thought they were going to go for, you know, top shelf, like super recognizable people. But I'm actually kind of excited by the fact that they're not doing that because it makes this show a little bit more of a question mark. And it's the same thing with the casting, too. If you look at the cast of the show, it's like you might recognize one or two people from a couple things here and there, but it's not like a bunch of you know, super famous people. Um, so I kind of love that it's it's going to be more of a, a mystery to people and more of a, um, you know, a fresh experience where you walk in and you don't really know what you're going to get except for those gorgeous New Zealand backdrops because the, the whole show is going to be is uh, going to be filmed in New Zealand like the uh, Peter Jackson movies were. So um, I think that's going to be, you know, a huge part of it is just like that that backdrop is going to do a ton of the work here. And, um, and I'm excited to see what these like sort of up and coming people do, because this is the kind of thing, you know, Amazon has said in the past, like we need a lot of people to tune into this, to, to justify the, uh, the money that we're spending on it basically. And so this is the kind of show where I feel like they, they can take some chances because they know that the name recognition alone is going to get a lot of people to, to tune in. And I would love for this to be sort of a launch pad for, people whose names we're not super familiar with to, to become, you know, the next big thing. Yeah. I also thought if they were going to hire TV directors, I thought they would just like hire from the game of Thrones lineup because that would be the, the easy way out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah it, it seems they're going for some, some more interesting names here, which is good. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Let's go over to Warner brothers where JJ Abrams is right now. He's developing a bunch of DC product projects for bad robot, but he doesn't want to direct Ben. Tell us about it. Yeah. JJ Abrams is not interested in directing any of the DC stuff that, uh, his bad robot production company is developing over there. So there are, um, pieces of intellectual property like justice league, dark Constantine, and there's a new Superman movie coming that are all going to be sort of produced by bad robot and, and released under the Warner brothers or Warner media, uh, banner. But, uh, in a new interview, Abrams basically says that Hollywood is a place where you know, I'll read part of his quote here. He says, I know that Hollywood is a place where it used to be that people would be inspired by something that they would see or an old film or a show or something and think, oh, here's my response to that. Here's a version of that. It's become a place where more often than not, you see something and people get inspired by it and go, let's redo that exact thing. So there's more of his quote there, but that's the, the general sentiment is he feels like instead of you know, George Lucas seeing uh, Flash Gordon and not being able to get the rights to that and creating Star Wars out of whole cloth and, and you know, uh, uh, synthesizing all of these inspirations into something fresh. It's just a constant state of recycling right now, which, you know, we know as well as anybody, we cover all this stuff all the time. So I, I kind of love that Abrams is like, I'm just going to focus on original ideas right now. That seems to be his priority. And he's but been, what is he saying about himself? Because he spent the last, what, 10 years working on Star Wars and Star Trek. Like yeah, including well, including both those franchises. Right. Yeah. And he said, um, the few things I'm working on right now as a writer are original ideas. I just feel as a director, I would really love to have my next projects be things that didn't pre-exist me necessarily. And that echoes comments that he made uh, several years ago now in 2017, when he said, I feel like I've done enough rebooting that I'm more uh, excited about working on things that are original ideas that perhaps one day will some us somebody else will have to reboot instead of, you know, him doing stuff like that all the time. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, very curious. I, I like JJ Abrams, uh, as a, you know, as a human being, uh, he's a very nice person and I, I like, 
the style that he brings to stuff. I just don't feel like his movie output has, it's been very hit or miss. We'll put it that way. And I, I would love the idea of him just to create something that is totally unencumbered by decades worth of fandom and all of the baggage that, you know, comes into rebooting a huge property like a Star Trek or a Star Wars. Well, even if you don't talk about the property itself, Abrams, who I think I like a, a bit more than you, Ben, is often criticized as like kind of a remix artist. Like, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. He, he makes Super 8 and that's a kind of remix of Spiel- I mean, that's an obvious remix of Spielberg. He's, you know, <laughs> noted that in many interviews. Sure. But you look at, you know, all of his work and it's uh, it's kind of like a, a remix of other things mashed together. Uh, so. Do you think do you think like that criticism gets to like, I don't know, this this commentary here, do you think this is because that's what he wants to make or do you think it's because of the criticism he gets? Um, I think it might be, you know, he I guess I guess uh, being a part of all of these huge top tier reboot remake projects over the past few years, he's probably gotten hundreds of interview questions. And yeah, it's probably penetrated his psyche a little bit, like gotten in his head. But I, I think, you know, he, he says in this quote, um, I feel like as somebody who started writing in television and telling original stories on film and TV, it's really something that I do miss. So uh, I, I think he, you know, he's coming from a genuine place here. I feel like the industry has changed so much around him from when he came up. And I, I totally understand the the impulse to want to go back and create, you know, he, he, he is maybe the biggest beneficiary of something like Star Wars and Star Trek because he got to step into that sandbox and, and revitalize it for a new generation. And I just, I think he wants, he, he saw what that opportunity did for him as a, a creative and like the power that he has. He signed this huge $250 million deal with Warner Media a couple years ago. So I think he knows that like part of his success was built on directing Mission Impossible 3 and like doing all of these name you know, pre-existing things. And I, I think he really genuinely wants to give the next generation of storytellers new stuff, um, which I, I and, and audiences as well, which I think is like really an exciting place to be for a guy who has, you know, been sucked into so many franchises over the years. I've really liked the original stuff that he's done, especially on TV with Lost and Alias. And um, I, I liked Super 8, you know, even though the ending... It's not quite uh, that, you know, T.J. Abrams is not as great with the endings as he is the beginnings. Um, But I'd be excited to see him do some more uh, original stuff and guessing uh, ensuring that his legacy is felt for, you know, decades or centuries to come. (laughs) Uh, But uh, you mentioned Warner's Media and Warner Media was sold to AT&T five years ago. And it uh, looks like ATT is already ready to get out of the, the movie business. HD, tell us about it. Yeah, AT&T is, uh, looks like it's, it wants its money back after spending <laughs> $85 billion on Time Warner in 2016 and has now entered a new deal with Discovery, a $43 billion deal that will combine its Warner Media entertainment assets uh, with Discovery to create a, quote, premier standalone global entertainment company. So this means that AT&T's Warner Media division uh, is basically being sold off to Discovery and that all of its brands under Warner Media, which includes 
Warner Brothers, HBO, CNN, Cartoon Network, Cinemax, TBS, TNT, Adult Swim, and DC Comics uh, will live under the same roof as the brands under Discovery, which is like Discovery, Food Network, HGTV, Animal Planet. How, how um, does this work, HT? That like Discovery, like they're basically a reality television reality that probably makes it sound bad but uh you know reality and documentary television uh mega corporation how did they buy warner media well it seems like at&t was pretty eager to get warner media off its hands it's obviously selling uh its assets for way less than it spent 85 billion versus the 43 billion that it um it's sold for to discovery. So it's, um, it might just be a circumstance thing. Like <laughs> discovery was there and they had the, the cash and the, the funds. So this means that AT&T can get out of the apparently losing business of streaming and, uh, just wash its hands of, of the entertainment <laughs> ambitions it had back in 2016. Yeah. Peter, I read today that, um, I think part of it might have had to do, there were some rumors that NBC universal might be, uh, merging with Warner Media. Obviously that's not happening now, but I think the um the speculation that I read among these like financial journalists was uh the Department of Justice has to approve big mergers oh, like this. Yeah. So uh, they think that because there is um so little overlap in terms of the content that Warner Media has under its umbrella and Discovery Plus or Discovery Channel or whatever Discovery the company has under its umbrella that it will be more likely to be approved uh for a merger like that versus like you know, Netflix some other, or... yeah, yeah, some company that, that sort of is, you know, swimming in the same pond, so to speak. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think this is big news uh, because this is going to, I mean, this encompasses everything in Warner Media, including DC Comics, not just the DC films, but also the comic books. Um, what, what does this mean for consumers, HG? Or what, I mean, I, I guess you don't know, but what, what can you speculate this means for consumers? Well, it's speculated that especially for HBO Max, which is under Warner Media, um, and Discovery Plus under Discovery, that for example, these two streaming networks could be combined into one big mega platform, or perhaps they'll be bundled in a package deal akin to Disney Plus and Hulu. Um, it's all yeah, very unclear right now as to how this will affect consumers, but um, they will be sharing the same roof. Uh, apparently, AT and D shareholders will uh, receive stock representing seventy one percent of the new company, so that's for shareholders. But um, it's it's based on press release and what the um, Discovery CEO David Zaslav says. Uh, the global reach of Discovery will aid in H and Warner Media's attempt to expand internationally. HBO Max, for example, is planning to uh, launch in more countries, international countries soon. So that's something that might be a, a partnered, like collaborative process. But um, yeah, as for now, it's, it's unclear how this will affect us. The HBO Max Discovery Plus thing is probably the biggest question for everyone. Like, will it it become another confused rollout for HBO Max after it, uh, it's really fumbled uh, launch back last back in last year when people weren't sure what HBO Max was and whether it was HBO and what, who actually had it. So it would be most beneficial for HBO Max to stay as it is and just to do the bundle thing like um, like the Disney 
plus Hulu ESPN thing. But um, who knows? These these this it's all uncharted territory for now, um, especially as we wait for the deal to close uh, in 2022. Yeah, it's just so weird because the promise of cutting the cord. <laughs> was always that like I wouldn't have to pay for this big bundle package with everything that I could if I wanted my HGTV just you know subscribe to that channel or you know that that was like the promise of the future Ben and and now it's like Discovery Plus and HBO Go and everything's going to become combined into one service like what the heck what, what, what do you think about that I think it's actually kind of getting closer to that future that you're talking about though because you know I think right after um you know as the the streaming boom happened and all of these different companies formed their own individual streaming services it felt like you now had to pay for all of these different things. But if this deal goes through, then HBO Max and Discovery Plus will theoretically consolidate in some form. And maybe some of that content will be available on, like Aisha was saying, one big service or some, you know, at least a, a bundle or something like that where, um, where I think there's going to be more consolidation in the future, right? Like th there are a ton of, I would say an untenable number of streaming services that exist right now. And I think over the next five years or something, you're going to see more of these uh, mergers and, and um, at least maybe not in like huge sweeping terms, like Warner media, the entire entity, you know, being uh, merged with another company, but like the streaming services themselves, I think will strike deals where, the the vast number of streaming services that are that there are right now will yeah. be cut down because I think people know that like this is this is an unreasonable thing to ask people to to be subscribing to all this stuff and like there just aren't going to be enough um, you know people who can uh, who can afford to pay for all this stuff so like who wants to be the the people left on the outside you know like you you, you sort of have to um, but you combine don't think, forces you don't think when you consolidate it's going to raise the price of the, you know, the HP, HBO Go Discovery Plus channel, whatever it is, is going to be I like. I mean, maybe, maybe it will. Um, and, and yeah, maybe you'll be right back around to the same price that you were paying before. But I think just right now, everything is so scattered yeah. that at least it will be a little bit more laser focused. And yeah, the pricing will probably just continue to go up and up and up. But um, yeah, I guess, I guess you won't have to. Uh, to remember to check, you know, your fifth streaming service. Like, oh, yeah, there was something I was supposed to be watching over here. Yeah. Uh, okay. We'll have to keep our eye out on this one because who knows what this actually means for us consumers. Uh, but let's move on to our, our final thing. Uh, ben, you you were starting this new series on the site on SlashFilm.com, and I wanted you to talk about it. Yeah, so um, I, I was talking this over with uh, Jacob Hall, the managing editor of Slashfilm, and we sort of cooked up this um, this idea for a column on the site called Close Up, where it is a new series that is going to drill down on really, really niche moments in movies. So a lot of times on Slashfilm, we talk about you know stuff like we were just talking about, big industry-wide changes and things like that, or we'll talk about movies and, and director's filmographies and generally like kind of broad term kind of movie stuff. And I thought that it would be fun to have a place on the site where we could really, really drill down on these tiny, tiny moments where, um, you know, even in something like the water cooler, water cooler episodes of this podcast, where we have freedom to talk about whatever, these moments might sort of pass by in the blink of an eye. We might not even think that they're worth, uh, you know, boring people with in terms of bringing them up, uh, you know, in, in podcast form. But I think there's a lot of ground to be mined in terms of 
digging into moments that, you know, have stuck with us in movies over the years that are really, really small and not necessarily the most famous lines or, um, you know, the biggest catchphrases or whatever, but just like little moments that stuck with us for whatever odd reasons. And it could be a line of dialogue. It could be a, a particular edit or something or a, 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 a shot or a match cut that really, um, you know, stands out to us. So, uh, yeah, this, this column is going to be open to, you know, all of, uh, everybody who contributes to slash film. And, and I'm sure there are going to be tons of people who, who, you know, bring their own entries, uh, over the next, uh, weeks and months. But, um, I know that we published our first one where I talked to the guy who said, it's the rocketeer in the movie, the rocketeer. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I spoke with the actor, um, his name is Rick Overton and he's been in a ton of stuff. Um, and so I just talked about, you know, how I talked, I basically interviewed him and wrote about like how it came to be that he, he was in this really, you know, this tiny one line role in this movie. Um, and, uh, I know Jacob has, uh, an entry that's essentially locked and loaded. That's going to be coming out, I think next week too. So, um, yeah, just, you know, check out slashfilm.com and, and keep your eye out for some of these entries. Cause I think there's a lot of, uh, opportunity here for, um, people to, uh, really show you something about their, um, movie habits and and the things that stuck with them and you will sort of learn a little bit about uh, those moments and and the writers themselves you know in that process this guy who yells it's a rocketeer i haven't read your article yet but you know he's he's a small part of the legacy of that uh would you call it a cult classic i guess at this point i guess so yeah yeah uh is has he felt that legacy like this do people come up to him and yell it's the rocket like i didn't ask him that but i I would guess that they don't because he has like i think somewhere like you know 150 to 200 credits to his name he's been in a ton of things so i I doubt that people really remember him uh you know as the primary thing from that movie which is 30 years old now um but uh but yeah i think you know he talked a little bit about the the legacy of the movie in my interview with him which this part did not make the the article itself, but he was just talking about how he really thinks the film is underrated. And he hopes that, um, you know, by, by people uh, reading this article, that it, it uh, convinces people to either go back and, and give the movie a second look in case they just saw it, you know, once when they were a kid or something like that. Um, or it will convince people to maybe check out the movie uh, in the first place. Cause Rocketeer came out, I think in the same weekend as Terminator two judgment day, it just got oh, completely wow. stomped at the box office and really like uh, it was kind of a forgotten movie for a while. So the movie streaming on Disney plus right now, if you want to check it out, I would highly encourage it. Cause I think it's like one of the best comic book movies ever made. Yeah. And I, I think Disney has been trying to reboot it for some time. They have like a, do they still have that animated series coming out? The Rocketeers? Uh, I think that's on like Disney Junior or something. Oh, I so want to say, I want to say, yeah, that it's been out for a little while, but I, I've never actually seen an episode. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that does it for us at Slash Film. You can find all our episodes at Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, 
triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.